It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Joy is one of our basic needs, and yet it eludes many. When we experience life's challenges and turmoil, it's difficult to live in joy. Today's guest, Grace Harry, learned how to see her pain as a gift that created a pathway for joy. She joins us today to talk about how we can find joy, rediscover it, and incorporate it into our daily lives. Grace worked for 30 years as a music industry executive. Today, she helps people welcome joy back into their lives. Her new book is The Joy Strategist, your path to interchange. Welcome, Grace. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Grace, I'd like to start off by talking a little bit about your story. How did you go from working in the music industry to helping people find their joy? Yes. First of all, what I noticed when I started to notice that I was not feeling joyful and living a joyful life, even though my life looked aspirational from the outside to everyone else, I started to notice that this is not just a me thing. Even though I was working with some of the biggest artists in the world, all of us are humans who have you know, insecurities and fears and have to push ourselves to attain more. And I realized I'm going to get to the bottom of my joy and that what I learned and figure out, I want to inspire everyone else to do the same. What were you going through? Because like you said, and this happens to so many of us, to the outside world, it looks like we're living this perfect life. And yet often we, we're not feeling it on the inside. So what were you going through that was causing that disconnect between the life you were living and what you were feeling? As a very young person, I had a, I got a very clear direction that what the people around me and the world expected of me was a level of success and a level of abundance that would give me the gold star that I would then be validated. I'm a good person <laughs> and I'm having a good life. And when I got to the mountaintop of that, I did not feel like that. I did not feel good. I did not feel delicious in my own heart. And there was so much shame and guilt around feeling that when you get a big miracle and not leaning into the joy of it. And then I realized this is not about our achievements. It's not about success. It's about making our heart the actual joy strategist for our lives. Do you think it's because we try to live the life someone else set for us? So for example, my entire life, I was groomed that when I you know, went to college and got married and had my children, I was supposed to be happy and I did everything that was expected of me. And yet there was something missing in my life. So do you think we have that emptiness when we're living for other people? you hit it on the nose. That's exactly right. We, I am a recovering people pleaser, a rejectionite. And so many of us are set on a path by well-intended amateur first-time parents that, and, and not even penalize them because they also were raised by first-time amateur parents. And so if we're not fact-checking their rules and their concepts of what makes them happy for us to achieve in their life, our life becomes completely in service to someone else's expectations. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult thing as we get older. There's so many societal concepts of how we're supposed to behave. I, I think the shoulds, the can'ts, the don'ts, the won'ts, we need to eradicate altogether and start to lean into a hard path, how we feel, and let that and give ourselves the permission and the entitlement to make that our life's journey. 
I couldn't agree with you more because when I started doing this work, this was the result of a lot of loss and trauma in my life. In a period of six months, um, my 23-year marriage ended, my mom died, my sister died, my oldest son left for college. So the identity I had was eradicated in, in six months. I had no idea who I was anymore. And I lived a lot of my life, I realized, with the shoulda. And, and you just said that. And, and that's really, I think, when we get into trouble. Because I used to say to myself all the time, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And when you live with this story that you've written for yourself, it's very difficult to be happy and find joy. Absolutely. It's time to rewrite those stories. And it's also time... You know, I really take the time to, for, for people to understand how we got here so that we can end the penalization of it, you know, and the blaming and the judging and the victim consciousness. And I, 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 the eureka moment for me one day was sitting around, how did we get here? You know, how did I become this person who it's so much easier for me to make my boss or my partner or my children or anyone else's life miraculous and gorgeous every day, but within myself, I'm beating myself to a pulp. And I think about a newborn baby. And how in those first couple of days, three days of life, they're having the best life ever with their caregiver and they're being fed and loved and everything's amazing. And on the fourth or fifth day, the caregiver gets a, gets a call or some news, takes their eyes away from the baby. On the seventh day, the caregiver is bragging to their friends that their baby now, when they nurse, they squeeze their elbow. But really what that is, is a, their first performative love gesture. The first time that they're aware that they have to keep this love going and it's up to them. And I believe that if we don't have incredibly advanced people in our world, adults around us, to help us decipher these pre-verbal heartbreaks, we take that show on the road and we're just kind of living a life where we're just constantly trying to keep that love coming in. And for me, it was, you know, I want to be wanted. I want to be loved. So let me be in service to everyone around me so that I can ensure that I'll never be a burden to anyone. And at the end, who was I burdened to? Just myself. And I had to lean into the fact that I'm mirroring this behavior for my own children if I didn't get on the joy, the joy bandwagon, I'm going to be sitting with adult children in my life who are also dealing with these same issues. I actually was a similar type of person. When you talk about performative value, that was how I lived my life, thinking that I had to do things for other people so that they would love me and accept me. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap. Absolutely. And I don't even know if we, if we even realize the trap because there's so many com confusing emotions around that because what does it mean to step out of my family dynamic? What does it mean to make myself first? Some people, it means you're a bad person or you're selfish or you're so changing that concept. For me also, I, I was laughing one day when I was really tossing this around and I saw an advertisement for, for an airplane and they were t saying the thing, reminding people, you know, when you get on the plane, if there's an issue, you have to put your own mask on first before you help anyone else. And though I'd heard that a million times, all of a sudden, in this joy context, that was so different to me. Right. If I don't create oxygen in my own body, how am I going to be good to create to help anyone else put their mask on and access that level of oxygen? And that's true of joy as well. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing, particularly for us as women, because we think if we put our mask on before we, we help another person, we're being selfish. Right. I remember that even on the plane with my young kids, like, no, I should put their mask on first. But <laughs> if I'm if I'm like gasping for air, everyone's going down. So you know, it's and and it, and also it's it's that simple. I really want people to understand that. You know, I wrote this book really intentionally to be as simple as possible because we love to believe that these things are beyond us or that they're not attainable or, or who, what kind of person would I be to lean there? But you did it once before. If you were one, maybe you did it when you were five. Maybe you haven't done it since you were a teenager. But we've all had moments where our pleasure and our 
you know, enjoyment was a priority. And if we could just lean back into those moments in our own life and dust off some of those practices or beliefs, then we're already on our road to, 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 to being a soldier of the revolution of joy. Mm-hmm. And you write in your book that we should view the world with a beginner's mind. Can you explain that to us? Yes. I mean, that was, again, you're hitting all the, the, the eurekas for me. When I lived life feeling so embarrassed that I wasn't as educated as I, I thought I, I needed to be, so not knowing stuff meant that I was a failure. So if I didn't have the answer to something, then what, like you talked about before, your identity, when you lost so many amazing people in your life and also your child went off to college and your relationship was ending, you're sitting all of a sudden now in this identity moment of who am I really? And so I could see myself creeping in at that moment into other people's stories. And I thought the only way I'm going to achieve this is if I rip all that up and just look at myself and experience myself as I am now in truth and then decide from a blank slate what I actually needed to be the joyful person I, I aspired to be. And the only way to achieve that is if we release the knowing release the beliefs, release the old stories, and rewrite these stories from a place of just who you are this second. And that's mm-hmm. beginner's mind. And, and I even, you know, it's funny, so many things become big buzzwords for us. And we've heard about presence a lot recently, right? Like you have to be present. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't access what that actually means until I got to what we were just talking about. And presence is very similar to beginner's mind in that I can't actually be present in this moment for you if I'm carrying all of the situations that happened with you and I before this moment, or even every negative situation I've ever had in an interview. I'm going to bring it all to this interview moment. But if I come to this and I just release everything and know I don't know what you're going to ask me and I don't know what this is going to be about, I'm in a beginner's mind and I'm in an open and fertile place to receive what you're really, really giving me from your own heart. And and that's essential. Before I went through all of that trauma, I was really living my life in like an autopilot mode, just moving through it and not really paying attention to how I felt or what I thought. And once you, you know, wake up to your life, then you can do this work and you can figure out why you do the things you do and you believe the things that you believe. And and I think that that's really the starting point to moving forward and finding joy and being fulfilled in whatever it is we choose to do. I love that. Can I borrow that? Yeah. Wake up to life. That's such a good way of putting it because we really are asleep and an autopilot in our lives until we re-infuse our heart to take over again. You know, the passion, the imagination, all those things only come from our heart. And as much as brain is helpful to remind us, like, don't step in the street, there's a car coming and you're going to die. But an ego helps us rise into those experiences. It's really heart that has to lead us into creativity and passion and openness. And that only happens if you are open and new to that experience. And that's why I like when you say that we've waged a war against our heart. We really have. We really have. I mean, I did. I absolutely did. I fought everything to, you know, because it goes back to what we were saying before. What does that mean you are as a wife or as a person, as a woman, as a daughter, as a mom? If you are focused on yourself, some people would call that self-centered or, you know, a narcissist is a new fun catchphrase of the day. Um, But I want to argue that until you really master your inner systemic change, until you really get on the road and realize that you may have brought all of these bags with you, but to empty them and to be open to what's next is the only way forward. There, there is no change. So you also write about cultivating a starting five. Can you tell us what that is? Who are these people and, and how do we put this group together? Yes, I love that. Well, it started with me realizing that I am as important as everybody else. So if I can make everyone else's life great, 
how can I be my own client and my own lover and start to infuse that into myself? And what was interesting about that is I had people around me who going through similar journeys and were just horrified at this. And so when you pioneer any, anything in your life, you need people to support it. And so I made myself the business of me because I could see it that way. It was easier for me to look at myself as a project that I had to, to work on. And when I looked at myself as the business of me, I realized I don't have an advisory board or I don't have a starting five. I don't have a group of people that not only are great people, but they actually have skills and a willingness to have the positions that will help me on my particular journey. So it's not to get rid of all your friends or to be angry that they can't rise to that place. It's also as equally important to have friends that you can just lay around with or laugh with or have fun with. But if you're trying to achieve your own joy and you're trying to excavate some of the pain from the past and get on a different kind of experience, you need some key players. And Mm -hmm. what I would say to everyone is just start by leaning into how you want to feel every day. You know, if you want to wake up in the morning and feel inspired, well, then don't reach out to your friend who's negative about any new idea. If you want to wake up in the morning and feel that anything's possible, then it might not be the best idea to get on the phone with your aunt who shut things down already and thinks that's ridiculous. So you have to find the people in your life who are going to say, oh, no, I see that. Well, I don't know about that, but that's a great opportunity. Or I once had something similar. Let me help you. And I find that recovering people pleasers have a hard time setting them that up when they're in the height of their fear Mm -hmm. because now on top of it, you're a burden and you're a problem. So it's essential to have this group in place and have preset appointments with them. You know, I have one friend that we do once a month. We take a couple hour walk together and talk. Or I have another friend that we do a call every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. and have coffee or she has coffee, I have tea together. So setting up these dynamics with your advisory board or your starting five or whatever language is going to inspire you to do it so that you have these real um, experts of your joy and your passion in place to support you in building that muscle for yourself. I think that's great advice because I know in my life, and and I would bet it happened to you as well, when when you were making these changes within yourself, I lost a lot of people. There were a lot of people who didn't like the way I was changing just because I was different and they didn't know how to relate to me. And I think that can be scary for a lot of people. Uh, You, again, I'm loving talking to you. That is exactly what happened to me. I didn't even realize it was interesting how much I, I hadn't really looked at myself in truth or, or understood what I look like or, or or what it is to experience me from the outside. And when I had the nerve, and I'm quoting someone specifically, to leave a great job and a great husband and a great, you know, and, and go off on a journey of self-discovery, how selfish that was. It was the time for me to realize, okay, I'm not even angry at that person. That's where they are. But that's information for me. And it took me a while to realize that information is that I need different people, mm-hmm. you know. And so some people walked away from me because they were infuriated that I had, I believed that I could even make that kind of change. And then there were people that I had to, to let go of and say goodbye to because when I leaned into them, you know, in, a, in the 12-step program, they say, they call it the qualifier. I don't know if you've ever heard that language. The person mm-hmm. who qualifies you being in this program because when you're around them, they trigger feelings in yourself that make it impossible to move through without your, you know, addiction of choice, and which I also say is people sometimes. And um, that was a really hard thing for me because it meant to me, it meant to me at first that I was, I was a bad person, that I prioritized some people over others. And how can I be a joyful person when I don't want to just give freely of my own joy and heart to anybody who wanted it? But it was the protection of my heart and my own joy that required me creating a little group around me 
that could really help inspire that and fan those flames. So, Grace, if someone's listening to us right now and, and what we're talking about is really resonating with that person, can you offer a tip or a strategy to help them begin the joy journey? Yes. My absolute favorite thing to talk about is how you begin this joy journey. You take the smallest, tiniest bite size and start it. And my preference is you start the day because we don't really realize that we wake up in the morning and it's a blank slate and the opportunity to do anything and miracles and magic and, and happenstance and new opportunities and windfalls really have an opportunity in that little space. But as soon as we just let the day run us by grabbing our phone and being in someone else's reality or, or adhering to the requests or demands, depending on your relationship with your partner, you already have told your, your subconscious that you're not the star of your own story, that it's not about you, that you're not the priority. And then this is when, for me, by 4 o'clock, I was grumpy. I was a little resentful. I was short with people. I wanted some sweet beverage from Starbucks or somewhere so I can feed the parts of myself that weren't getting sweetness. Um, and so it's that moment. So I started by just giving myself one minute every morning. Before I did anything for anybody else, I gave myself one minute. Some days it was just a gratitude or two, a thank you. Sometimes I'd play one song and get up and dance to the bathroom. But I just started in little bite-sized ways to make myself feel differently. And that's all anyone needs to do. This is not the moment to decide this is not for you because you don't have time and you work two jobs and you have 10 kids and all those things are real. But if you want to feel better in your body and you want to inspire the people to give that same energy back to you, if you want to be the chief energy officer of your own life, then start by one minute every morning before you lean into anyone else's reality, you've kind of juiced up your own. The book is The Joy Strategist, Your Path to Inner Change. Grace, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Yeah, my website is thejoystrategist.com. Then also you can reach me on Instagram at, at Grace Harry. And certainly if you buy the Joy Strategist book or the audio version, all the tips and tools and things are in there. And Grace, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I want people to understand this thing. I have a really great friend who's an astrologer, Jenna Romer. She's got a platform attuned to the moon. And she said something to me that really helped me kind of shape the ending of this book. And that is that we are in a world where we are not taught that two opposing forces can both be true. And the reason that's important is because we think that when things are easy, they're great. But nothing is actually easy. Everything takes work and strategy. So if you can understand that your birthright is joy, you deserve pleasure and, 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 and play, but also there's work to get there, that would be the best thing to understand. That duality of truth is the starting point for getting on your joy, your joy experience and being in the revolution of joy. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I have really enjoyed having you on the show, and I would love for you to come back another time. Oh, that would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.